0: So, please join me on this journey of learning, self growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top Podcast. This is episode 526 for the 11th of ER in a regular year. So, today we're going to talk about the concept of sacredness, what it means when we say that something is sacred. And often, a phrase that's often thrown around a lot, even in the secular world, even in the non-Jewish world, even in the Christian world, different religions, there's this concept that people understand that there's something sacred about marriage. So what does that mean exactly? So it's, people say it a lot. They say, oh yes, the the union of a man and a wife is very sanctified, it's, it's holy. What does that mean exactly? And in order to understand this, we actually have to come to an understanding of what we mean when we say that something is sacred. What, what does that mean? So in this case, which is often the case in a lot of situations like this, we can look at the Hebrew word for sacred or for holy, and it can give us a hint as to what is going on and what it's all about. Because the Hebrew language is very descriptive and is very deep, and the words are not merely just like, words that we use in kind of like this haphazard way that we need to have categorizations for things, but rather they hold the true meaning of the word in the word itself. So the word for sacred or for holy in Hebrew is kadosh. And kadosh is an interesting word because it not only does it mean sacred, but it also connotes the idea of separation, of being separate from something, which is why, interestingly, there's, something which is very not sacred which is also termed by the phraseology of kadosh so a, a harlot a prostitute is called uh kadesha which sounds very much like kadosh right so what is this about why would we use the same word for harlot or a similar type of word for harlot harlot Uh, for something that is holy and this is because there is this connection between the word kadosh and the word separation and we can see this very obviously if you think about the things in your life that you hold sacred so even if we're not talking about people necessarily but we're just talking about different objects like think about an object that you might have maybe it's a piece of jewelry maybe it's an article of clothing maybe it's uh something you collect uh Something very expensive that you have, special china dishes, whatever it is, we all have different things in our lives that we hold to be sacred. Maybe it's a picture of some of a beloved person to you. So, these things that you hold to be sacred, what do you do with them? Do you wear them every single day? I mean, maybe, but they, uh, they, we find that if we overuse certain things, like if if we have a certain article of clothing that we find to be sacred, if we wear it every single day, it's going to lose some of its sacredness. We might still really like it, but I don't know if we'd necessarily call it sacred. There's this idea of when something is sacred, when we have like even like a really nice dishes like our china pieces, we don't use them every single day. We have them maybe on display in a nice case that's covered up. Maybe we'll take them out on special occasions. If we have a really expensive piece of jewelry, we often don't wear it unless it's like a very, very special occasion and we treat it with a lot of care. There are some people, in fact, who if the jewelry is expensive enough, they'll actually get a replica of the jewelry, like a cheap version of it, and then they'll just keep the expensive jewelry hidden away and they'll never wear it. So this is the extent of what we mean when we say that something is sacred. So how does this apply to marriage and what does this mean when it comes to marriage? So when we're talking about marriage and the reason why marriage is considered to be something sacred is because it also involves separation. It involves the fact, and this might sound not so politically correct, so be warned, but it's where a man chooses a wife and decides that she is sacred to him. And he separates her from amongst all the other women and he takes her for himself. It doesn't mean obviously that the woman doesn't have a say and that she doesn't also have to be involved and she also chooses him and all of that. But the active role is really in the man. There's this idea that the man chooses the woman, the man chases after the woman, and he he chooses her and he separates her. He makes her sacred. This is what is the deeper meaning of what's involved in the the marriage ceremony in Judaism when he says that here you are sanctified to me, you become sacred to me. I am separating you from all other women and I'm making you mine. You are now mine. And so why are we talking about this? What What, what is the concept of marriage? How does it relate to Tanya? Well, so in today's Tanya, in today's portion, we're actually going to be talking about this as well, uh, but specifically in terms of God. Because we know that our relationship with God is very much like a marriage as well. And in this case, God is the man and God is the one who chose us. He chose us and he sanctified us. And this is what it means when we say that he chose the Jewish people and he made us holy. He made us into his holy nation. Is It means that he separated us from amongst all the other nations and he chose him for himself. Really very, very, very similarly to the way that a man chooses a wife and makes her her sanctified and separate for him. So... Let's get into the text and see how the altar explains this analogy, and we can come to understand it in a deeper way. So we've actually already been talking about this in the chapter so far, uh, and for context, we're in the, still in the middle of chapter 46, and it, it's been a lead up in this whole chapter has really been focusing on God's love for us and how the more we really get in tune with how much God loves us, this can actually really help us in loving God back. Because we talked about how it's a natural inclination to feel a sense of love towards somebody who loves you, especially if they express that love to you. And all the more so if that person is way above you in stature, like a king or something. And all the more so with God, who is like the king of all kings and is so infinite and everything. And we're just like these lowly people. So who are we to be worthy of this love like like who are we so it's it's this gratitude and this uh this this feeling of overflowing love that we can develop within ourselves f- towards God when we become aware of God's love towards us. So today we're really going to talk more about this love that God has towards us again using that analogy of the husband and wife and about the how the husband specifically chooses the wife and makes her sacred to him. So The it Begins, and he talks about how this specifically is why it is that we see that in Shir HaShirim. So Shir HaShirim is one of the books in the Bible that is filled with like this whole very romantic illustration. And it's very vivid, very visual of the romantic interaction of the intimacy between a man and a woman. And Shir HaShirim... Uh, was written by Shlomo HaMelech, and Shlomo HaMelech wrote this whole thing as an analogy for our relationship with God, for God's relationship with the Jewish people, and the and this is and, and this is why because this attachment between a um, a husband and wife that involves kissing and hugging and we talked about this a little bit yesterday that how what is it if you get into a deeper level of understanding what is a kiss, what is a hug? We talked about how, so brief review, is that a kiss, there's the lips to lips that are contacting, there's an exchange of breath, and a hug is when the, the arm, the right arm embraces the entire body, the left arm embraces the entire body, and the bodies connect. And we talked about how this relates in God in terms of our the mouth to mouth touching is when we speak words of torah the exchange of breath is when we really try to understand torah and the hug is when we actually do the mitzvah specifically the 248 positive commandments which have are divided into three types. There's the types that stem more from the right side of kindness and giving, the types that are more like justice oriented that are on the left side, and then the, there are those things that involve more mercy and compassion, and that's compared to the body. And so when we perform all of God's mitzvahs, that actually is a way of God hugging us. So we talked about all that yesterday. And today we're going to take this discussion a little bit further by. Uh, understanding our relationship with God uh, as uh, as being similar to a marriage between a husband and a wife. And we'll understand the interesting parallel between the words that we say when we say a bracha, when we say asher kid'shanu b'mitzvotav, that's a common phrase that we use when we say a bracha, um, that he who has sanctified us with his mitzvahs to why this is the same terminology that we use for marriage, which is kiddushin, that a man, when a man takes a wife uh, as his bride, it says that he is mekadeshota, he, he sanctifies her in the same way. So what what is the similarity about with this wording and what's that about? Um, so let's get into the text and see how the Altar Abba explains this. For context, we are in the middle of chapter 46 of Ligute Amarim. And the ultra rabbi begins and he says that we're going to come to an understanding of this phraseology that we use in brachas very often where we say that uh, he who has sanctified us with his mitzvahs and this is the same terminology like i just said of when a man that mekadesh that when a man sanctifies a woman to become one with him to become unified with him with utmost unity so you know you may be familiar with a lot of different brachas we say before we eat, uh, wash our hands, after we wash our hands, before we eat bread, we say, and then we say whatever it is. So literally that means that he who betrothed us with his mitzvahs. So that's an interesting thing. So think about that. He who betrothed us with his mitzvahs. So meaning to say, if a man wants to propose to a woman and he wants to, get engaged to her, he'll usually bring a ring or some kind of jewelry or something to represent that this is his commitment to her, this is his way of betrothing her. And so in this case, how does God betroth himself to us is through his mitzvahs. So the altar explains this and he says, just like a man who betroths himself to a woman, uh, in order to be totally unified with, with her, with total unity, as is explained. And then the altar cites a verse from Braishi's chapter 2, verse 24, where it says that he should cleave to his wife and they will become one flesh. So the altar is really emphasizing the fact that, like, when a man Gets married to his wife. The idea is that they really, really become one. So this is exactly the type of unity, but to an infinite degree, which is the which happens when the to the godly soul uh, when it involves itself in Torah and mitzvahs, and to the vitalizing soul, which another word for that is the animal soul, and to its garments, which we described above, when it's involved in doing mitzvahs. What um, and so all so our godly soul and our and our vital soul the entirety of us becomes unified with God, with the infinite one, blessed be he, to an infinite degree when we involve ourselves in his mitzvahs. So this is how God betroths himself, so to speak, to us in through his mitzvahs. Because betrothal, we know, is the idea of unity and really unifying with a person. And so God wants to unify with us in the same way. And so he does that through the mitzvahs, as well as his Torah. And this is why Shlomo HaMelech Chose in Shir Hashirim, which was a book written by Shir Hashirim to liken our relationship with God to a relationship, a, a very physical relationship between a man and a woman. So the book of Shir Hashirim is a very, it's a love story between um, a man and a woman and it's it's very explicit. You know physically explicit and it really is because as we're learning here there's a lot of parallels that can be taken between our relationship with god and this very physical relationship with hugging and kissing and cleaving and all of that and that this intimate bond that happens between a man and a woman uh is is a is a very similar kind of bond and truly to an infinite degree that happens when we unite with god with his Torah mitzvahs and now we can really come to understand once again he brings up the altar brings up this idea of that what's really going on when we say that he who has sanctified us with his mitzvahs that what this means is that it's god is is raising us up he's elevating us Up to his sanctity to the Kodosh Ha'elion which is the sanctity of God within his glory and his essence and the word Kedusha this is another interesting thing to understand this word Kedusha which means sanctity holiness uh, you know different translations for the words also it it connotes um, separation so, just to explain a little bit more what this means, this idea of kadosh, this idea of holy, sacredness, separation. So, kadosh, kedusha, is related to the idea of havdalah, the idea of separation. So, we know, like for example, havdalah, the ceremony of havdalah that we do after Shabbos, it's it divides Shabbos. Like it's it's basically saying that there's a division between Shabbos and the weekday, and we're we're making we're stating that we're stating that now we're entering into the weekday. It also is. Uh, just interesting insight. When we do Havdalah, it's supposed to be like a reminder to us to how much Havdalah, how much separation is involved in Jewish life, that we are separate from non-Jewish people. We have separate dishes for meat and dairy. There's kosher food. There's not kosher food. We can't eat everything in in the world. So... There is a lot of separation involved in Judaism, and this is related to the fact that because we are a holy nation, because God separated us from amongst the other nations of the world, this idea of separation is a really integral part of being Jewish, of being holy. And so the altar explains this, and he says that. Uh, God himself is actually separate. God is the ultimate separation because he's very separate from all the worlds. He is in an aspect of sovev kolalmin. He's this aspect of he surrounds all the worlds, meaning that he doesn't clothe himself within them. Like God is, you know, God is not bound by our worlds. God created the world. So he's separate in a certain way from all the worlds. And so now what happens is that when we perform God's mitzvahs, so when we connect our souls and... Uh, And to God and we have them become encompassed in this light of the infinite light of God, then we elevate ourselves to this level of being separate from the world so we can actually tap into this separation of the world this tap this level of holiness of God himself. And how do we, how, how is it that we're able to do this? It's because we actually become connected to God and we become encompassed in God when we're doing God's mitzvahs. And this is what is meant, says the altar, Rabbi, what, by, the, uh, by the verse, which this comes from Vayikra, chapter 20, verse 26, which says, that you should be holy for me, Because I am a holy, your God, and I will separate you from the nations to be mine. So again, there's this connection here, a really strong connection between being a holy and being separate. So God's telling us in this verse that He will make us holy. He will make us separate. Why? Because God is separate. God is holy. And so the way He's going to do this is by separating us from all the other nations. So just like again in the, in the idea of a marriage, when a man chooses his wife, that wife becomes one with him, and now she's separate from any other man. And then again, there's another verse here that the altar ever brings. This time, uh, it's actually. Two verses from Bamidbar chapter 15 verses 40 and 41 where it says so again it's the same idea. It says that you should do all of my mitzvahs, and then you will thus you will be holy to God because I am God your God. So through doing God's mitzvahs, this is uh this is how we become God's God. So this is what makes us uh God's wife so to speak this is what makes us holy to god what makes us separate and unified with god is through doing god's mitzvahs and then the al goes on to explain that we know that god is called the god of avraham and the god of yitzhak and why was he called this because our patriarchs our forefathers they were and we talked about this previously in the tanya they were chariots for god they were, uh, they, their entire lives, they were totally nullified to him. They were totally encompassed in God's life. And so when we perform acts of Torah and mitzvahs, then even though we're not always in the state of being in a chariot for God, cause that we're not on that level of, of the forefathers. When we do God's Torah and mitzvahs, we actually do get into that. Our soul gets on that level or so our soul becomes chariots for God's life. And this is why, says the ultra rabbi, that the sages set it up that it is an obligation to get up and stand in front of anybody who's doing a mitzvah, even if he's a total ignoramus and he's just like a very low person, like an amhaaretz is called in Hebrew. It's amhaaretz is a difficult word to translate. It's like, it literally means a person of the land, which is kind of like just a very illiterate, uncultured kind of person. So even if this very ignorant, lowly person is doing a mitzvah and he's a lowly person. Nevertheless, the sages said, we have to stand in front of such a person. Why? Because at that moment, God is actually dwelling and is vested inside of his soul, just that his soul doesn't feel it. So he is still a very coarse person and he is still this very illiterate person. So he's not aware of the godliness that's right now being um, dwelling inside of his soul. And why is is he not aware of it? Because there's this mask, there's this barrier of, uh, of materiality and physicality of his body that is not refined. So he's not a very refined person. And thus this darkens the light of the soul from seeing God and But nevertheless, God is in there. And God is vesting himself within this person at the time that he does a mitzvah. Just like the, was the case with the forefathers. As it says about the forefathers, that they saw the world, they saw their world during their life. So what does that mean? It means that they saw the world to come during their lifetime. Like they were on such a high and refined level that they actually saw the world to come. During this life now. So that's the end of this section. And so, again, just to recap, what we learned about today is really this connection between sacredness and separation, and how this is true when it comes to any object that we have, any physical object that we, if we hold it sacred, it means that we're going to separate it in some way. We're not going to use it all the time. This is true when it comes to a husband and wife and to a bride and a groom, you know, that when a groom chooses his bride, he's making her separate from all other other men and taking him to himself. And then we talked about how this is a really apt analogy for God and how God chooses us, the Jewish people, and separates us from amongst all the other nations and we become his nation. And that the way that this like uh, sanctification happens and that this union happens is through the mitzvahs. And so when we perform God's mitzvahs, we actually connect to God, we get elevated to God's level, and we get encompassed in God, our souls become encompassed in God. And even if this isn't readily apparent, when we do this, like we don't all experience this like euphoria, you know, necessarily when we perform a mitzvah, it is happening. And And this is why the sages set it up that we actually have to stand in front of anybody, regardless of who that person is, when they are doing a mitzvah. Because at the moment that the person is doing a mitzvah, then God is actually inside of that person is 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 in their soul god is dwelling inside of their soul at that moment it's just that we don't necessarily feel it or that person doesn't necessarily fear it feel it because because of the coarseness of the body so that's it for today and we will continue along these lines tomorrow when we actually conclude this chapter and i'll speak to you then thanks for listening to the it is top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. this podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather abraham Yitzchak ben Cohen of blessed memory music by shoshana